Welcome on back to Surviving Advance. We are joined today by the head coach of Muncie 18 Samurai and director of Muncie Volleyball, the legendary Mike uh, Lincoln Felter. Mike, welcome to Surviving Advance. Thanks, guys. I'm excited. Excited. Yeah, uh, we are. We are more than excited to uh, to have you on. So I guess to start, um, if you don't mind, kind of giving us a little bit of background on Muncie on uh, your uh, background. I know Muncie's the longest running club in the u.s i think so i know there's a, a lot of background there but if you just don't mind get, giving us a backdrop of yourself and the club and well i'll start with the away. club i'll start with the club i mean uh you know you referenced the longest running club in america it started in 1974 and uh, you know like everything else in in the midwest or in this area you'd be hard pressed to look at anything volleyball and not be able to trace it back to the shondells you know, and Steve Shondell uh, was right at the, the root of this. Uh, Dave Shondell, Wes Lyon. Wes is yeah. still involved in it. But, you know, it started off with a bunch of guys from Ball State that played at Ball State uh, that created the, the program in, in 74. And, uh, you know, it's rolled since and it's grown. You know, this thing, I've watched the evolution of this. And it's been interesting. You know, over the 40 plus years, you you watch it grow, as I told people, from somewhat of a garage band, which was when we were pre-facility, yeah. to, uh, you know, uh, the Beatles, because you're now at, with the facility, you, you're knee-deep in events, you're, you're drawing more kids, it's bigger, it's, it's more splendor. But, the, you know, the program has seen its share changes. You know, we, we had a huge adjustment when Dave Shondell left uh, about almost 20 years ago, right in the middle of the season to take the Purdue job. Yeah. And so we had to readjust. And that's when I kind of came in with Wes as the co-director and started helping run things. And then, you know, right after that, probably five years later, we're in a facility. And then as you well know, once you're in a facility, the game changes dramatically. It becomes an events thing. It, it becomes uh, tournaments. It becomes clinics. It becomes much more than just coaching volleyball. And, and I've watched it evolve that way. The other evolution of this program, by virtue of where we place the facility, you know, we used to be nestled in the heart of Muncie, which isn't big, but it's still off the beaten path if you had to come off the interstate. By virtue of where we ended up having to place the facility, which was right off the interstate in 60, I-69 in a suburb called Yorktown, Indiana, we then became very... Uh, uh, attractive to the Fort Wayne's, to the Indianapolis's and, and so on. And so we've now started to draw kids from Ohio, a lot of kids from Fort Wayne, a lot of kids from Indy, which kind of changed our game overnight as well. And, you know, the club went from 22, 23 teams practicing in high school gyms to almost 40 teams, you know, overnight. And, and that all started right on the recession, you know, it was 08. Uh, we signed the, uh, we signed all the bank work, uh, huge loan. I'm a, I'm a buyer's remorse kind of guy. <laughs> so I, I signed this, you know, $3.2 million loan. And I'm a guy that had about $3.2 to his name at that point, a typical volleyball guy enough to buy sure. three or four beers and you were good to go. <laughs> and I, I walk out of the bank and I'm a little shaky you knowing what I've just committed to. I get in the car and it pops on the radio immediately when I got on the car that it, the president had just declared us in a state of recession. And at that point, I realized that I'd probably ruined 
not only my life, but my family's life. I felt really good about it, you know, and I thought, boy, we're, we're in a tragic spot here, but yeah, it, remarkably it, it worked out, you know, and, and people flocked to the new facility and, and it, it wrote a new chapter for what we do at Muncieana. And, you know, you, you reference culture. I mean, Scotty, it's hard not to have culture. If you've been doing it for 45 years and don't have right. a culture, you know, we, you got to get me off this podcast right now. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there is a culture. The culture's evolved a little, but it's always been a gritty culture, mm-hmm. a tough-minded, ball-control kids. You know, and, I, you know, I love you're talking about the athletes on your team. And, you know, generally we've had to play people with smallish athletes because we're smaller. It's a small community. Yeah. Well, we've got some gritty kids. You know, I've got three, three of my former liberals are starting liberals in the Big Ten this evening. You know, and yeah, and and that's been kind of common, a common theme for us is we're kind of a first ball contact group. Uh, we we pass it, we serve it, we defend it, and if we can keep the ball and play long enough for you to air, then we we score points. And yeah, you know, and historically that is who we've been. You know, right. we've never been dominant at the net. You know, we have a, a 14s team right now that is kind of changing that. We've got a very big 14s team, kind of what you guys are used to at A5 with some, yeah. some of those kind of kids size-wise. And they're all local kids, which is hard to believe. But, you know, other than those guys, we're still tweener size-wise and, and going to try to beat you with uh, or wear you down with first ball contact skills. But, you know, great little club, uh, tremendous mentality. Uh, I take great pride in the fact that, our turnover for coaches and staff is, is none. You know, we've, we've probably got 30 coaches that have been with us for 15 or more years. Impressive. It's really pretty cool. Yeah. By the way, I hate the fact that you're a, a ball control club because it sucks playing you guys, but whatever. We you, won't, know, it's, there. you know, it's, it, it, if you can relate to the beach game and I had to play this role, you always wanted to play bombers on the beach. Yeah. You want to play guys that are going to go up and hit it. The last thing you wanted to do is play those kind of those little gnats, which is what I had to do, you know, just chopping and making your run all over the place, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and we're, we are annoying to play because it is just, we want to extend rallies, you yeah, know, yeah. we want to make it a lot of times when you play a Muncie and a team, it's not really necessarily about what they do. It's usually about what they don't do. And they try desperately not to make those mistakes. And, they're not going to make a ton of mistakes above the net because we're not above the net as much as everybody else. And so, you know, it's a plan that fits our personnel and our personnel's Gary has stayed the same for about 40 years. That's, that's amazing. I mean, you, you hit on culture, which is, uh, is such an important part of a club and in a region or whatever it is. You know, talk about the nicknames. I, I, I love like banana slug, samurai, like, give me that. Cause I want to name something, my team, something cool other than 18 yeah. Scott. Well, the, probably the most like, no, no offense to Scott. No, I mean, 18 Scott's the most boring name in the country. <laughs> the, two, the two most iconic uh, names were the Peppers. They were, they've well, been right? there since the 70s. Yeah. Uh, and the Chipmunks. <laughs> Chipmunks, obviously, it's a 14s team. It kind of came off the Alvin Chipmunks thing, and they were rolling the Peppers. We're literally named after Steve Shondell's dog. <laughs> That's true. That's a true story. And so what happened is those guys deemed themselves worthy of names. And then I came in, watched The Last Samurai, and fell in love with the movie and the mentality. And so I, t- I threw a name on. 
And after that, all hell breaks loose. The neat thing about the names, though, Gary, if you came up here and let's say I had retired, you want to come up here and you want to coach 18s, and you said, I want to be the samurai, you have to barter with me to use that name. There's been an awful lot of beer earned, lost, <laughs> and, and moved around for names. And literally, guys that coach with us, uh, Banana Slugs is the name that goes way back. You know, Kelly, oh, yeah. Schiff, Kelly Schiffeld still has rights to names here at the place. Uh, Dave Shondell still has rights. And these guys literally have to come in and ask the, uh, the direct owner of the name for, to be able to use it. That's cool. No, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And it's, you know, like I said, there's been a lot of beer pass from hand to hand because of these names. So, just, so next year we're 18 Tucker. I hear that's what I heard. Yeah, that's right. there you go. Yeah, that's my dog's name. Um, Mike, can you go just a little bit more into what it was about uh, the samurai culture that kind of, I know that kind of transcends your team. And I know that that meant a lot uh, to you at the time. So can you touch on that a little bit? You know, everybody always, what really captured my attention, I'm a history, I'm a history nut. You yeah. know, the people that know me, I really am. And so the movie, you know, it was a little bit of what it was, but I'd read a ton prior. And the one thing I really appreciated about that culture was the servant leadership portion of it. And if you knew me better, that's a big part of who I am. I, I, I want, I want to win on and off the court. I, I want to be the best wherever we are. And, and the ability to make others around you better really was, I thought, a great club scheme. You know, if everybody in our mm -hmm. club looked at my team and wanted to mimic that, and if that team had the ability to transcend and flow through all the rest of the teams, in essence, sewn into the soul of the club, I, I thought that would be the message that I would like to, uh, to throw out. And, you know, it's been, it's been an amazing run, Scott. You know, we did a 15-year reunion, and it was uh, 147 kids that played for me. We did a Christmas reunion. And 145 kids were at the reunion. That's awesome. Which, you know, I'd say, I almost get teary-eyed. You know, uh, one of the young ladies had made a shirt that said uh, that uh, if you were a samurai, there's no words necessary. If you were, if you have not been, there's not enough words to capture. That's cool. And yeah. it's that's really what I, I set out to do. You know, do I want to win championships? Yeah. Yeah, I do. But that culture has grown into so much more than what I ever anticipated and really what I ever envisioned. But I think that, you know, the, the thing is I grow older in this thing and, and you'll look at it. I, Scott, I look back now and I'm going, man, I don't, why would you have played for me when you were, when I was 30? Why did people play for me? I'm coaching college volleyball. I'm going, I hate that guy. You know, it's nowhere near who I am today. You know, my theory now is, with Samurai is to try to put those kids in a position so that they can be the best possible player that they can be uh, a player first mentality. And my theory is, you know, I think the word that takes an ass beating is selfish. Selfish is not a problem. Self-centered is a problem. Selfish. You look at me and you're going, man, when we go to bluegrass, I want to win. Well, Scott, that's awful selfish of you, especially since you know I'm going to be there too. Yeah, but, right. but selfish is a good thing. You want kids to want to be MVPs, all Americans, all tournament champions. 
selfish is a good thing. And so I tell my guys, you know, be as selfish as you need to be. Just don't let your interests supersede the team, overwhelm our team goals. That's self-centered. And so my theory with the Samurai thing was to make sure that every kid is good enough to go and start for their college team next year. So Eva Hudson, who's only a junior and going to Notre Dame, my goal, even though she's going back to Fort Wayne Dwinger High School, I would like that kid to be able to start at Notre Dame. Because if yeah. she can start at Notre Dame, she's going to be pretty good at Fort Wayne Dwinger High School. <laughs> but I, I, once they come up to me, then this is what you are. And, and I want them to be the best they can possibly be. And if I'm any good at what I do, if they're all, I got 12, 13 kids out here mingling around trying to become the best they can be, then I should at least have the ability to rope them and direct them into a, a direction. My job is to get them home. Their job is to have ownership into themselves. And that's been the whole thing with the samurai thing. If you ever read about the samurai, those guys, you know, they took care of themselves, but they were the most loyal pack guys that you'll see. But it was, it was always a personal investment. And that's what drew it. And that's kind of been my, my coaching philosophy ever since. And, you know, the hard part is we were talking prior about the grit and grind. Getting kids to take ownership is really a critical issue. And getting them to buy into, you know, if a kid can't buy into themselves, then we're going to really have trouble. You know, if I look and I go, you got to buy into Samurai, that's going to be a lot easier if I got them buying into them for themselves first. This is what I'm going to do for you. Yeah. You, know, you just do you real well, and I'll take care of us. Yeah. You know, and you'll hear a lot of times that my biggest statement, and if any of those kids were on here, they'd tell you, a better you is a better us. It, every day you'll hear me throw it out a better use a better us you just yeah. get better i'll take care of us and so that's in a nutshell kind of how it came about and why it what it is uh always competitive not always the best uh but always competitive and yeah. and we'll always give you what we got you know and, and i think that you know over the last you know we've had it's been a really beautiful run i i think you're talking about a team scott over almost 20 years now, the worst finish ever was fifth place. I mean, <laughs> I think there's 19 years and 18 of those 19, they're in the top three, whether yeah. it be USA, JBA or AAU. Yeah. And, and, but it's this amazing group of people. Like I said, three of those kids tonight playing, three bros, all in the Big Ten, Yeah. all played. And, you yeah. know, I look back on, I'll tell you, I watch the Big Ten Network sometimes. I'm going, God, I suck. Yeah. You know, a couple of years ago, I'm watching Carly Scott, Kendall White, Jackie Quaid. All of these kids are going to war. Some of the best players in America. And I'm going, yeah, how the hell did you not win, Mike? The other <laughs> night, they're talking about Shaftmaster and Parker playing yeah. together. And I'm going, yeah. they're playing against each other. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, that's cool. Those guys only won one national championship. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I was waiting for those guys in the Big Ten Network to help me. Well, you know, this guy just gets a lot of talent, screws it up. So, but no, it's, it's been a really neat run with a lot of beautiful kids. And you know, as well, you look at a five and there's a draw yep. and you're going to get, you're going to get some kids in there that are some of the best players in the country and trying to tie them all together is difficult. And one of the things that I've had a great deal of success with is starting that knot with them. You yeah. tie yourself into me and, and I'll make sure we all get home together. You know, hold yeah. the rope. Just hold on to the rope and I'll get you home. So, Mike, I mean, that's it. it's awesome. 
so yeah. true of what it we is. do and and it, it's tough right you have some success years sometimes you don't and uh, that's amazing yeah it's cool it's uh you know two of the guests we've had on here in the past we've had uh uh keith uh shunzel on we've mm-hmm. had jenny mcdowell on from yes. uh, from emory and both of them build their programs around servant leadership as well so it's 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 very much a common theme uh that's coming through the podcast and, and I think it's awesome. I think well, it's those great. are, those are two awfully gifted coaches, you know, pretty I, good. Yeah. Jenny has found, sure. Jenny has found her niche yeah. and uh, has done an incredible job. And Keith may be the most underrated and you know, Keith is a dear friend. He spent time in months. He's a ball state alum and you're going to hear from Keith here in a he's second. So don't say that too beautiful much. Soul. Yeah. yeah. Um, so actually speaking of that, it's a great, uh, segue so muncie indiana uh muncie in general uh, specifically the ball state men's program have produced just an incredible number of coaches and players uh throughout the years whether it be the shondells or 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 skinner or kelly sheffield or keith shunzel or billy Eve. i mean the list goes on and on right and um do you have any thoughts as to why why that area why that city why that program has produced uh you know so many outstanding yeah. I, I do. I do. Uh, Don Shondell. Yeah. You know, I told Don one time, Scott, and Don is uh, one of the worst things about COVID is COVID's robbed me of my opportunities to see him. I, I, I love Coach Shondell. Yeah. He's a big part of my life. When I played for him, I, I wish I would have known then what I know now. He, uh, I, I think I would have been different. I would. I wish I would have learned easily or easy from him at that time. After the fact, uh, I've started to see who he is. And one day, him and I are having lunch, and I told him, you know, Al Skates will go down as the greatest men's coach of all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by sheer record of national championships. Sure, sure. Don Shondell is is second winning his coach in, in the history of the game, but zero national titles. And I told coach one day, I said, coach, what do you think the mark, the, the, the real mark of a great coach is? And he said, uh, a great coach makes his kids love the game. And I said, that's what I was hoping you'd say. He said, why? I said, because if that's the case, you're the greatest coach in the history of the game. Yeah. Because at that time, unbelievably, there were 47 division one coaches that were ball state guys, that's 47. Yeah. Wow. And that's an incredible number. Oh, 47. Yeah. And that number's still huge. I mean, you just, you know, you throw out Skinner, you throw out Sheffield, you throw out Lasso, you throw out Ebel, you throw Shunzel, you can, you can keep going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that number was was unbelievable. You know, evidently, Prep had a, a thread going at one point, and everybody was calling like uh, maybe UC Santa Barbara, the cradle of coaches. And I think it was Kevin Lasso got on and said, hey, you may want to rethink that. <laughs> And enlisted all of these people, including Wes and I and all these others. And then somebody in prep said, you know, we get, we didn't know. Yeah. Uh, Shondell single-handedly made volleyball, in, you know, really grow in this city. And he had first movers advantage. And so he, he came in, introduced the game and really created something that no one had ever seen before. You know, they're, when I played here, the crowds were bigger for volleyball than they were for basketball. Yeah. When I came back here, the crowds for volleyball games, girls' volleyball games in high school were bigger than high school football games. <laughs> because 
the the town it became synonymous mm-hmm. you know there was one point way back when recruiting was fledgling that people said the three counties you had to visit as a college coach were orange cook and delaware orange was la cook was chicago and delaware county's muncie <laughs> you know and so they had yeah. this first movers advantage dude they had jumped on this ball before title nine you know keep in mind before 1974 was Muncieana, but the, the Ball State men's thing, what happened was coach would just have these guys, and over the years, every one of us coached Muncieana when we were playing. Yeah. And so I remember once I was with Tom Pingle, Randy Litchfield, Chad Weinberg, and myself were all assistant coaches for the 12 ones team who were coached by a lady, a lady by the name of Denise Vanderwally. Denise Vanderwally went on to become the, the winningest coach in Bowling Green University history. Tom Pingle went on to start Circle City and run the USA High Performance Program and stayed with USA for 20 years. Randy Litchfield went on to become the winningest coach in Ball State history. And Chad Weinberg was his assistant the whole time. <laughs> and these guys, we were all together on one staff. You know, and all four of us at one time were coaching college after we got away from there. And Amazing 12-1 team. Right? I mean, it really was amazing. Well, the only reason we were there, the Ball State guys, is Denise was a beautiful lady, and she <laughs> taught us the art of having to be the guys that cut kids. That I had to go over old. and tell kids in those days, you're a twos, you're a twos, and everybody hated our guts. And so that was, yeah. the, only, that was the only coaching we did. But, yeah, you know, you look at it, the men's program was so big. But coach was so deeply involved in making guys love coaching and teaching. Uh, Don Shondell was a teacher at Ball State. And all of us took his volleyball course. And if you've ever been around Don Shondell, his passion for the game is unrivaled. I took a picture a couple of years ago, Gary. Uh, it was Coach Shondell. He was 89 years old. He was kneeling down and he was working with a little girl on her platform, putting her thumbs together. And I took a picture of it and I said, I should send this to Wikipedia and that should be the picture that defines love. Yeah. You know, and that's who he was. And so this guy comes in, he teaches us all to love the game and he creates this cradle of coaches where everybody, you know, love to teach first and foremost, every one of those guys will tell you they're more teacher than coach. And, and I'm the worst at it because I love teaching, you know, going into the gym in a little bit and doing practice is my love. I hate coaching because of my emotions. You know, I, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so competitive and emotional that it really gets in the way and, and people don't really realize that my love is, the, is teaching the game, not, not necessarily coaching it. And I, could, I would rather have a season where we don't play at all, you know, and yeah. we just train. And, you know, we've kind of gone the other route in club volleyball. <laughs> yeah. It, all it, we do is play. Yeah, that, you're absolutely right, Mike. It's like, I feel like it, it's like so much over the top on in the playing perspective. So you know, I think just transition a little bit, like JVA and, mm-hmm. and, and what does that mean to you, to you club volleyball? And then I have an A5 perspective as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, JVA is, is really, I think, misunderstood. You know, keep in mind, I was... I, I was one of the guys on the boat throwing tea overboard when this whole thing, when it all went down, I was one of those. If you had that ring of five guys, I was on that. I, I rode out to the boat in the Harbor, started tossing shit out. That was me. You know, I was there with Cordis and, yeah. you know, but JVA in my mind, 
And keep in mind, I'm the president of JVA now. So it's kind of a dangerous statement. Yeah. JVA, in my mind, was more, the you know, USA always looked at JVA as this huge threat. Mm-hmm. And I never thought the JVA was the threat as much as AAU was the, the rival. Mm-hmm. That was who was really the, the rival for registration and governing bodies. JVA was, it is, was an option. It allowed for what you grew up in, Gary, what I grew up in, just to play for the sheer love of the game. Right. You know, and it promoted this, uh, we don't have to, we don't have to charge an arm and a leg to do this. And hey, you know what, in Indiana, you can, you can run more than one 18s tournament in the entire state today. And, you know, because when we got into it, you couldn't run an 18s tournament in Albany, Indiana, New Albany, which is in Southern Indiana. And you couldn't run one in Laporte, which is the far northern part of it, in the same day. You could only run one 18s tournament a weekend. Uh, in those days, Munciana had one event. That was the Munciana Classic. It was the only event we could run. And JVA afforded us the opportunity to, to be a little more unbridled. Yeah. You know, I'll be really honest. At some point, we kind of lost uh, focus of what was important. I think one of the reasons the adult play is so far down than what it used to be in uh, USA. Yeah. Because you know what? Guys don't really care if the numbers are four inches or six inches. They don't want to spend a lot of time making sure they got the right number. Is it on the right side of my chest or is it in the middle of this year? You know, is that shirt contrasting enough? And it's the last thing I wanted to do. I just wanted to play. (laughs) JVA afforded a lot of people the opportunity to just play. That was it. And, you know, the one thing about it, I, you know, everybody was talking about, you know, Doug, when Doug left and Doug is, is a really, is a beautiful man, Doug Beal, beautiful man. Uh, and everybody talked about, you know, how his legacy would be. And JVK, JVA came in there and the numbers split, not necessarily in half, but maybe a third. Yeah. But here's the remarkable thing about Doug Bill. I think people need to realize the game of volleyball grew more during his tenure than any other time of any other leader. And one of the reasons it exploded was, was really JVA because mm-hmm. it allowed another splinter group to just go out and play. Right. And maybe the play was governed a little differently. Maybe the play was, uh, was offered a little differently. Maybe they're going to be willing to let boys intermingle. Maybe they're going to do some different things that gets back to old school volleyball and spend less time worrying about the political nature of it and more time about, you know, trying to play. You know, when it all started, it was really about chasing bids. That was the biggest frustration. And for me, one of the beauties has been that I know where I'm going to go at the end of the year regardless. Yeah. And, and I like that. Uh, I miss out of the, the whole bid thing, the only thing I really miss, I don't miss, you know, traveling all over the place and getting in planes. I miss seeing some of my friends. You know, I don't see you guys nearly as much as I once did. Right. Uh, I don't see the Callies nearly as much as I once did. And I think that the only downside would be that we have kind of lost track of some of my old friends. But I think that the the barb, the the banging, you know, the competitive thing, hammer and nail competition between USA and JBA, I don't think that's real. I, I view the JBA as a, kind of a, a lay organization, almost an ABCA type of organization for better business practices, better coaching, 
uh, and let the regulations, you know, it's not a governing body. So right. let the governing bodies do what governing bodies do. Sure. And I, I want to be, I want to usher in a period where there's not as much separation, but maybe a little bit more of a draw towards everybody becoming better coaches. Uh, things like this, yeah. where you just share think tanks, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's really ultimately what the JVA is going to be. I think we've gotten past those first couple of years where everybody thought it was a rogue band. Mm-hmm. And it may well have been a rogue band early. Yeah. I, I won't say it wasn't. But I think now things have settled. Everybody's doing their thing. They've kind of picked it. Most teams are a lot like you guys that will do both. Yeah, you'll yeah. intermingle, and and that's good. Yeah. But look how many more volleyball events there are now than there was then. Yeah, you're, you know you're, everybody's you're, got a chance. Every level can play somewhere, some weekend, and the guys got to be jacked out of their minds. They're officials. Oh yeah, I mean, good God. Yeah, <laughs> you think there's like work every uh, weekend. Do you think with the JVA that would like create a little bit of a faction in, in certain parts of the country where does it make sense? I mean, I, yeah, I, I think this is me, this is me that the Midwest, the JVA was an advantage. Um, South Florida, not an advantage. Mm-hmm. And so it's like Texas, Texas California, yeah, Washington. No, yeah. you're right. Um, you know, one of the things that, that people don't realize, Gary, and I think that you just hit on it. If I want to play really, really good volleyball, I would never have to drive more than three hours. Absolutely. I go three hours to Chicago. I go three hours to Louisville. I go three hours to Cincinnati. I go three hours to, you know what? Three hours. Within three hours, I can play 10 of the top 20 teams in the country on a year-end basis. Mm -hmm. You know, you guys in the South, that's a tough call. That's a tough call, and that's that's really the challenge of trying to create uh, an organization that's going to become the end all for volleyball. Right. I don't know if that's, and I don't know if that should be the goal. Yeah. The goal should be to produce uh, opportunity, to produce um, the mindset. For instance, uh, you know, a small club in Clayton, Georgia, decides that maybe it wants to run a tournament, but it doesn't want to do all of this. And maybe they have that opportunity, but, you know, I, th- I think that at the end of the day, JVA uh, is going to really help pioneer the growth of the game a little more because of options available. Yeah. And it is very Midwest dominant. Uh, I don't know if the mindset has ever been about taking over the world. They do want to provide opportunities. You know, I know some guys in California, uh, were really struggling, felt like they were limited, being limited by uh, commissioners or the or the programs, and they bought in just because of the insurance, yeah. and and were capable of running their own events. You know, the game has changed dramatically from when I got into it. When I got into it, I it was just a bunch of guys coaching volleyball. <laughs> now it's businesses. It is. It's business. It is. And if it I'm is. trying to run a business then, you know, I've got to find ways to do what I do and stay within the infrastructure of the rules mm. and the regulations. And, and I think it's just providing some of these guys that feel like they're being hindered a little bit. Because like you said, if you have a facility, you have to run events. Mm-hmm. If I live in an area where a guy says you can only have one event a month, you know, it's it, McDonald's isn't going to do well if it's only open one week a month. Yeah, And it's a business. And, you know, we've got to be able to provide opportunities. And 
with that was the mindset. But what's evolved is just a billion kids playing the game. Yeah. And some great coach education stuff coming out of there. And 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 I think you're gonna see even more. You know, I think the coach education piece is where I really want to focus yeah. in my time as a president. Um and, and I think you'll see a little less of the the rogue mentality or the competitive mentality. You know, at the end of the day, Gary, it's volleyball. And it is. that's what you're about, that's what I'm about. <laughs> you know, and whether you're USA, JBAA, you who cares? Serve it. Yeah. Just serve it and pass it and we're good. Yeah, yeah so. right. No, that's a that's a great point. And, you know, I think we always talk about in our practices a lot is that, you know, it's a game and, and we keep score because we have to. But it goes back to your point of if all these kids walk away loving the game, I don't care what I win loss yeah. record is, right? It doesn't yeah. matter. So. Yeah.